0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Lashing Out podcast on the Esports Now Network. I'm Jared Pruger alongside Kevin Quigley and Joe Smelter. Welcome once again. Penn State struggled against Indiana, but the th- biggest thing that I think we now know is that Drew Aller is not perfect. He made a mistake. He made an interception. He threw an interception. Finally, he got that monkey off his back and showed a little bit of uh, more raw emotion after that game than I think we've seen from Drew Aller, which I think is absolutely 100% a good thing moving forward for the sophomore quarterback.
1: Yeah. And we asked for him to throw a pick or excuse me. I asked for him to throw for, throw a pick against Indiana thinking this game would be an absolute walk in the park and um, got it through it at a bad time. (laughs) Uh, Penn state came out really slow and he ended up throwing that, that interception late in the fourth quarter when the game was not out of reach as it should have been. Um, But yes, definitely looked loose, definitely looked free out there. And I think it's what we've been asking for is just, just let it go, man. Just don't grip the golf club too tight. Just,
2: just swing away. And I feel like we're getting there. It was a step in the right direction yeah just throw it deep and uh I was I don't know if I openly called for it I don't think I tweeted about it I don't think I said it on this podcast but silently I said that throwing interception would be a good thing for Drew Auer now as you said uh Kevin um I wasn't thinking that it would come late in a 24 21 game against Indiana and when it happened uh people who were kind of uh poo-pooing the notion of our throwing a pick being a good thing. We're saying, well, uh, are you happy now? He threw a pick. You think that's good? And it ended up I don't know if there's a direct correlation between our throwing his first deep ball touchdown pass of the season and uh and that pick, but it's worth thinking about definitely. Uh had something been unlocked uh with Drew Hour now that he's kind of faced his fears and throwing um an interception Who knows, but uh, we do know that Penn State hadn't thrown a deep touchdown with the exception of Bo Pribula hitting Trey Pops against Northwestern in garbage time. That was the first deep touchdown Penn State threw all season with Drew Hour, and we'll see if it's a sign of things to come. But it's definitely, um, I don't think it's a crazy theory that throwing that pick could be something that helps unlock Drew Hour, so to speak.
0: That's the biggest thing. Right. you know, we, we talk about mistakes happening. Good. To me, that's a good mistake, right? He's, you know, this late in the season, he hadn't thrown a pick, even with last year, you know, you want a player that isn't going to turn the ball over. And that's, that's, that's what they want. But at the same time, you want a player that's not afraid to make mistakes. And we've mentioned all kinds of different things about Sean Clifford and the Sean Clifford experience. But the one thing he wasn't afraid to do is make mistakes. I mean, you see Aller missing across the middle or not, or or not even going across the middle right but at the same time that that and maybe he saw what everybody was saying about Sean Clifford and the mistakes that he made whatever and up and down you know steady Eddie is very good but steady Eddie when you're more of a tortoise rather than a hare isn't always a, a situation that that's desirable either
1: no and Drew Aller set the NCAA record with I believe it was 301 pass attempts without throwing an interception to start a career, which was nearly 100 more than the previous best, which I think was like RG3 at like 205 or 206. So props like great job, kid. We didn't throw an interception, but Steady Eddie was not was not going to be the recipe to beat Ohio State. It's not going to be the recipe to beat Michigan. You're going to need to throw it deep. That's what JJ McCarthy does. I remember watching the game last year. He's just throwing out absolute prayers. Like he was actually speaking Japanese to his wide receivers (laughs) in the Michigan game and they are, excuse me, the game, Michigan versus Ohio state last year. And like just hopes and prayers were getting thrown up and Michigan receivers were coming down with it. Build that trust with KLS Malik McLean registered. It didn't officially register as a target, but he was targeted one time. I believe yesterday Build that trust, 6'4", 225, whatever the heck he is. That's an absolute monster. I don't know any corner in college football who's sizing up against him. Let him go make a play. Throw it 40 yards downfield, one-on-one coverage. Indiana went one-on-one coverage, went single high safety. They tried to do exactly what Ohio State did last week. They don't have the defense to go one-on-one against Penn State. Ohio State's got the front seven to do it, and they've got the corners to 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 match up against Penn State's wide receivers. Indiana does not have that level of talent and Yursich was not afraid to call it Yursich was not afraid to attack. If they're going single high safety or zero coverage stacking eight, nine guys in the box, whatever the hell they were doing. I mean, they were absolutely selling out to stop the run and they let, they were like, all right, let's try it. What do we have to lose? I mean, they had the game to lose at this point in time because it was so damn close, but it, it was promising to see he had, Eight attempts of 15 yards or more downfield, and he completed four of them. And a lot of them were coming on second and medium. So you get four or five yards on first down. You get to second and manageable. Take your shot. And if not, you're in third and six. And they were a lot better on third down last week, this or yesterday, than they were last week. Seven of 18. Still not great, but they were putting themselves in position to be couldn't successful. You,
0: Kevin, to be honest, they couldn't get much worse compared to last week, but I like where your head's at.
1: Nope. Nearly 50%. Nearly fifty percent this week, which is a lot better than one for sixteen, which, if my memory serves me correct, is a sixteen thousandths. So
0: I'm I'm not a math guy, so I can't confirm nor deny the accuracy of that statement.
2: Yep, yeah. and what we're talking about, Indiana. How about I've that is just was gutless play calling by Indiana uh, after hours interception. People are. I sent a tweet about it, um, obviously, on Twitter. Where else would I send a tweet? But um, I mentioned it, and people are commenting, saying, well, Indiana's running the football well. They should have kept running it. First off, Indiana didn't run it that great. Secondly, that's kind of missing the point because you can't – I don't believe in playing for overtime, really, in general, but definitely not as a 32-point underdog on the road. I think Tom Allen was a great coach for Penn State yesterday. By doing that because in theory, if Indiana scores, um, if the rest of the game plays out the exact same way, Penn state just scores and ends up winning the game by free and not nine, but you don't know what Penn state's mindset is. If Indiana actually takes the lead and says, instead of ties it. So if you're an underdog, um, especially a huge underdog on the road, you got to play for the win. Indiana played for the tie and it got the tie, but it ended up losing the game. Uh, so I don't know what your guys' thoughts were on that, but in the press box, I was very surprised um, by Indiana just really kind of punting on that drive and settling for a field goal um, instead of riding the momentum of that pick and going for the win. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? But it was It's so baffling to me.
0: For a team like Indiana to be in the game against Ohio or – I'm sorry, Penn State late in the game like that, they should go for it. They should attack. And they can't just sit back on their heels and, and not be aggressive but at the same time,
1: you it was know, fourth and six,
0: right? Like, go get it, man. Go at least try um, to see what happens. What You're you're already beating the spread. You're already, you know, playing way better than you were expected to. You know, this is an actual game. Believe in your team and, and go after it, man. Go see what, what happens here. And, and they, unfor- they didn't do that. And that's, you know, that's something in the locker room that's not nearly as bad as what's going on in the pit locker room right now, but you know, that's yep. you start questioning your coaches. That's where, that's when you start losing the locker room and that's, yep. that's an issue.
2: Yeah. But, and to clear something up real quick, I'm not talking about them kicking a field goal on fourth down. That was the right call. It's what they did leading up to that. I think it was like a third and nine third and eight. Um, And they ran the ball anyway, which is a pretty clear sign that you're just going for the field goal. And they ran it on first and second down too. But, I think you got to take at least one shot for the end zone there, especially their free touchdown passes. One was a 90 yard um, touchdown. Uh, all three of their scores were t- were passes. The first was a 90 yard touchdown. The second was like a 67, 68 yarder. And then the third was a longer one too. Uh, so yeah, I just, you got, I think, take one shot at least to the end zone and see what happens there. They, Penn State secondary had its worst day of the year um, by far, I think. And yeah, you just got to, Try to take advantage of your Indiana, I think. Yeah, the the defense looked not focused. Uh the big play,
1: uh, the sixty the sixty-nine yard play. Johnny Dixon blitzes. KJ Winston or no, yeah. KJ Winston collapses down into the box, and Jalen Reed is thinking that they're playing cover two, and he doesn't even attempt to get that to that side of the field. So there's a couple miscommunications, A miscommunication happened on the 90-yard play as well both of those happened in the first half indiana gets 159 yards on two plays uh they had what 220 yards in the first half so all but 60 of their yards came on two plays so the defense was focused when they needed to but gave up 349 yards similar to what they gave up last week and yeah just just not entirely focused but this is what jared and i talked about in the pregame Penn State has a tendency to lose in bunches. They they got the job done yesterday, but the the lack of focus after a loss is evident in the Franklin era, and this was another this was another example of that.
0: That's a very good point, Kevin. That's going to lead us right into our break. We're going to talk more about managing emotions on the sidelines and beyond when we come back for the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Diddy Sports Now Network. back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and Indie Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. They are Kevin and Joe. Listen, we we talk all the time about emotions. Emotions are raw. Emotions matter in games and whatever. And, And you take a look at the X or Twitter or whatever you refer to it. And people talk about the emotions of coaches all the time. Manny Diaz was getting on his guys. They were fired up. We talked about it being the worst game the defense has had all year. That was their slip up. Um, better to come against Indiana than against anybody else. But, and everybody talks about James Franklin, how stoic he is, right? That you resemble your head coach. You see this in almost every sport, right? The the players take after their head coach and and what they do And, and Franklin's demeanor. And we talk about this all the time, both off the field and on the field. There is a message behind it. Um, it is by no means. Does that mean that he's not interested? It doesn't mean that he's not invested. That's just how he is when he's fired up, you know, he's fired up when he's not fired up. You really don't know, but that's part of coaching. And it, and that's why obviously it's a little easier and, and, and probably better to see your coordinators getting after players and getting on their asses than say James Franklin was when, when James Franklin does it. Obviously there's a message behind it.
1: Uh, one rebuttal before that, I agree with your point. However, the problem is, is he looks like a deer in headlights against Ohio State, Michigan, and so too did his quarterback last week. But that's my one shot. That's my one jab. But yes, you want your head coach to be level in games. And the only time you ever see Franklin get mad is when it's going after officials. He might chew one one or two people out, but he's letting his assistant coaches be that emotion on the sideline. And he's just a steady Eddie. He's providing the messaging, like you said. And we had no idea leading up to the Iowa, Iowa game that the message that was in the locker room was cut their, their GD heads off. That was, that was the message to Iowa. They want to taunt us. They want to do everything that they did two years ago when we played them. Yeah. We're going to pay them back. We're going to pay them back Saturday night. And that's what they did. And when that's the messaging behind that's, that's what you want your head coach to be. He's leading people and he's getting people fired up without actually being public about it. And I think there is a nice art to that. And it's a good motivation tactic.
2: Yeah. And Franklin has surrounded his program with coaches that bring that more intense side um outwardly um week in, week out. He mentioned Manny Diaz. Dion Barnes is a very intense figure. Phil Troutline played in the NFL as an offensive lineman for a handful of years. I don't think he's lacking in intensity. Uh in the past, they've had Sean Spencer, who got the nickname Coach Chaos for a reason, but and I'm not saying James Franklin can't be intense. He's more intense on the practice field than I think he is during the games. But yeah, I, I don't really have too much to add uh, to what Jared and Kevin said. I'll just say that, um, yeah, you got you guys both hit it um right on the head. Uh, you want your head coach uh, to be that kind of cal- Calming. I I don't I don't know if calm is a per- a perfect word to describe James Franklin, but he's definitely calm I think, uh, than your, I don't know, Bob Knights of the world. He's level. Yeah, level's good. He's level. He's level. Well.
0: And that's a great way to look at it, right? You know, level-headedness is, a, is something that, that ultimately matters. But the biggest thing is, in the grand scheme of things, you look at it fr- from a broad perspective. And, yeah, me- you mentioned his performances against Iowa, or or, or I'm sorry, Ohio state and Michigan. And then how he has handled things behind the scenes against Iowa. That all matters. That, that is coaching. You know, if he's fired up and he's on everybody, plus the officials, the entire team is going to be over emotional on the officials on everybody. You know, you've got to be able to, to balance that. And that's tough as a head coach, right? They feed off of your energy. You want them to be calm and cool and ready for those moments yeah. Is James Franklin going to get the blame for nearly every loss? Absolutely. Every head coach does. But the big thing is it doesn't always, it's not always his fault. Um, it, it does come down to execution. It, those things do matter, but you know, he blows a gasket on the sidelines and they lose. It's probably a little bit different of a conversation than what we're having. So, you know, against Indiana and and listen, we talk about messaging, right? He's he starts out this week by saying, Hey, listen, we typically, sometimes we do have these spiral out of control. And I thought that message was a little bit different than we, what we typically heard from him.
1: Yeah. Franklin, Franklin had a good message this week. I mean, it's, it's self-reflective. He's, he hears the critics. I mean, every time that they lose to Ohio state or Michigan, everyone calls for his job. It's the most guaranteed tweet, social media post, comment on Facebook, talking head, talking point of James Franklin can't win the big ones. He needs to be fired because this is the ceiling of the Penn state program. And this usually leads to a lot of negativity around the program. And it usually leads to losses that compound. I mean, just look at 2020, they had the bad call against Indiana and Michael Penix. And it was a team that really wasn't ready to play because the big 10 season was so chaotic as it was. And all of a sudden they lose five straight. So he has a tendency to repeat losses, and they reflected that. They were aware of it, but they still came out and laid an egg. They're lucky to get out of there with the win, um, but I did see that they made changes. So the, the result wasn't pretty, but they did make changes to philosophy, and I think I think that's the key there. That's the key takeaway from this week is it doesn't matter how it looked. It's did they did they make progress, and I think they did make progress despite how it looked.
2: Yeah. And uh, Jared and I have been in um, kind of an, enough Franklin pressers. I think to know, I think the opening statement and the length of the opening statement is a pretty good indicator um, of how Franklin sees the way a game. went. if Penn state wins, he usually talks for probably no shorter than two and a half minutes in the opening statement. If they lose probably less than a minute, they won Saturday in Franklin's, I believe opening statement, I believe it was 50 seconds long. So that, um, that's a pretty good indicator, um, of how James saw the game. Uh, but yeah, there were definitely uh, some positives uh, to take away. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned uh, some of the changes. Um, I liked seeing Dante Cephas more often, even before Trey Wallace got hurt. Uh, even though they didn't throw to him, which we talked about before the show, Malik McLean being out there, um, was encouraging. Uh, but yeah, um, I think overall, uh, the feel was definitely different. Uh, going into Saturday, uh, it definitely. Almost was a case of Ohio State beating Penn State twice, Uh, but it didn't turn out that way. And Penn State uh, now got the win, went 1-0 in the week, uh, and can learn in victory, which is obviously a lot better than learning by losing to a 32-point underdog at home.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned their expanded roles, Jared. I'll let you go first real quick. I'll let you go right after this. Dante Cephas had 41 snaps. 32 of those were pass plays. McLean had 61 snaps. 32 of them were pass plays but he looked lost. I don't know if he wasn't ready to play the game or he's now wide receiver four. Trey Wallace gets hurt and he goes to wide receiver three, but man, he was out there. He looked lost and I don't want to pile onto the guy because he hasn't played in six weeks, but he was out there had zero idea what was going on. And ironically was the lowest rated player on the offense by PFF this week. So hopefully Trey Wallace isn't out long-term, but hopefully at the same time, um, you know, he gets better as he gets back into the game ramps.
0: The biggest thing is Penn state won. That's all that matters. That is, that is what, what means the most to these teams. I am getting ambushed right now by my dogs. So I must apologize for trying to join the podcast, but again, it's a, a, win is a win. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how ugly it is, how, how it was done. What matters now is it's a win and the rankings that matter the most come out later this week and we'll talk a little bit more about rankings and everything. When we come back on the third and final segment of the lashing out podcast on the Indy sports now. network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the lashing out podcast on the Indy sports now network. There are Kevin and Joe and I am Jared we are the the Nittany Lions version of the Jonas Brothers i guess you could say on this Lashing out podcast but the big thing is now let's talk rankings the CFP playoff poll comes out this week those are the rankings that matter what you've seen from the co- from the coaches poll and really the this um the AP poll eh, they go out the door now because what matters most is ESPN's college football playoff poll Penn State comes in at nine in the AP. I think that's probably about right where they're going to be in the CFP poll, too. But now we're starting now that we're later in the season, we're going to be able to start talking about bowl games, projections where Penn State should end up. But, man, it was a wild weekend across the across the country for for a lot of ranked teams.
1: Yeah. Number nine seems to be the right spot in the AP poll. If you look at the one lot, they're not, better, they're not better than any of the undefeated teams, except maybe Florida State, who still still somehow has first place votes. There's three of them this week. Don't get me started on that. Oregon, Listen, Texas. Listen, I
0: said they were going to get beat by Wake Forest. Yeah,
1: that was the worst prediction of the week. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Three one-loss teams above them. Oregon, Penn State's not beating Oregon. Penn State would give Texas a game. I don't know if they're beating them. And Alabama, I think it would be a similar result to Texas. So, Penn State's the fourth best one-loss team in the country, and they're right there at number nine, and that's where the fourth best one-loss team is in the rankings. So uh, toot my own horn, I called Oregon State losing to Arizona, which they did, and I also said Kansas with Jalen Daniels would give Oklahoma a chance, and Jackson Bean gets it done for for the Jayhawks and gets the upset in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, over the Sooners.
0: Rock chalk, baby. They they ended up putting the goalposts in the in the lake. That's that to me is great. You know, Georgia handled Florida pretty well and Kirby smart. Man, I love this about Dan Mullen. He was like, Yeah, Dan Mullen took or whatever this, whatever that. And he's like, Yeah, he just didn't like to recruit. That's why we're here. I thought that was great. You know, and and we talk about messaging, right? We talked about that with James Franklin. Well, the number 14 team, Notre Dame, um, dismantled Pitt 58-7, to 7, and then James, or Pat Narduzzi decided to have a Pat Narduzzi-type press conference where he just went off the rails a little bit. And it, it, to sum it up, it essentially said that the guys that he had that he thought were going to replace other people weren't good enough. And honestly, he's not wrong. 58, you lose by 51 points on the road at Notre Dame. The Notre Dame has given no indication that they were that good of a football team. Um, Christian Veyer, not great. I think four picks. But, you know, the thing is, that's the type of stuff that's going to lose you a locker room. That You losing that belief in your players, while as honest and raw as it is, that's what's going to lose you a locker room.
2: Yeah, and several Pitt players, I mean several, and this isn't one or two guys, a bunch, quote tweeted Uh, the reporter Noah Hiles, who tweeted in their newsies, quote, Um, with cryptic messages, emojis, all of that. This was a lot of current and former Pit players, and that doesn't happen if things weren't horribly wrong with the locker room even beforehand. So, uh, yeah, proud Narduzzi has been at Pit for this is his ninth season. He's been there that long for a reason. He brought stability to a program that had absolutely none of it. But that stability is gone, and I'm not necessarily calling for Narduzzi to be fired. Um. But that something is very bad um, going on within that program, and it goes even beyond the two and six record and the dreadful way that Pitts lost most of those six games.
1: If if you're in a position to be a coach, a coach is that, especially in college, you're you're in a position to be a leader of young men, and one of the biggest things lacking in society, not to get philosophical, is accountability, and as a head coach. You are ultimately responsible for the performance of your players. If you said all your good players left at the end of last year, well, you should have been coaching your damn ass off in April when spring ball was going on. You should have been coaching your ass off in June, July, and August as summer ball was going on. And your your players get their teeth kicked in for 60 minutes. And the only thing that you can think to say of post game is, yeah, my players suck we lost all of our good players last year. It's not my fault. It's it's the player's fault. And you're supposed to be the leader of men teaching accountability and teaching responsibility and all those other things that college athletics are supposed to be there for. And you go out and blame your players after that is just a terrible look. And yeah, it's not fireable offense. And I doubt he's there at the end of the season because there could be other openings uh, available for him. But after this season and after those comments, Those openings might dry up.
0: Personally, I hope he goes to Michigan State. I just think that's absolutely phenomenal. It's very low risk for the Spartans, and they need low risk. He's going to be pretty cheap, comparatively speaking. But, man, you just can't put yourself in those situations, even in the full context of the tweet and the quote. It still didn't sound great. And he took accountability. He did come out and say, that loss is 100% on me, which is great. Yeah, if you get hung – if you if somebody hangs fifty eight on you, you should take accountability. Absolutely, because it sure as hell wasn't just the players. Prepare, man. What did you do all week? You gave up fifty eight points. get Notre Dame is the fourteenth ranked team in the country, but wow. There, it's been a while since since Pitt's taken a beating quite like that. But the rest of the big, or the rest of the scores uh, around the around the country, Texas handled BYU. Um, Oregon handled Utah rather easily. I thought that was going to be a lot closer of a game. I did as well. Louisville beat Duke. Um, Tulane took down Rice. USC came back to beat Cal. Um, USC is not a great team. Um, (laughs) Washington took down Stanford late. That game came down to the wire. Air Force beat Colorado State. Tennessee took down Kentucky. Ohio State struggled against Wisconsin at times. Wisconsin did everything they could, but just fell short. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. again uh, was a big factor in that game. Ole Miss took down uh, Vanderbilt. UCLA beat Colorado. And you talk about messaging once again. Deion Sanders is like, big picture. We need linemen. He called out his team. And and I don't know that that's the right idea either. But again, I – Deion Sanders is Deion Sanders, right? Um, North Carolina lost again. Um, At one point, I had said that they were a a team knocking on the doorstep to the top 10 and and to making a run. I was wrong. Um, James Madison equaled out over the fighting Ricky Ronnies. And Arizona took down Oregon State, much like Kevin had predicted.
1: The only other game of note that I have, Northwestern beat Maryland.
0: Speaking of, Maryland is where Penn State goes this week for a 330 kick midday action.
1: Yeah. One last thing. We alluded to it earlier, but we're going to go the reverse. Michigan State needs cheap. Michigan was about to go expensive.
0: <laughs> well, there's a lot more extenuating circumstances in Michigan. Jim Harbaugh had he had a contract on the table about for a lucrative deal uh, that would have put him as the highest paid coach in the country uh, at the college level and magically that has been rescinded given the entire shitstorm that is michigan wolverines football pretty easy costume for those that celebrated halloween already going as a michigan spy thought that was pretty clever saw some people in the student section um were, were dressed like that but this that story we talk about it every week because it's so polarizing it's going to be ugly and it's going to be one of those situations where we don't know what's going to happen next, because this isn't really happened before.
2: No, I I talked to a Penn state freshman who dressed as Connor stallions for Halloween, Uh, tweeted it. I'm going to write a story on it. Uh, Hopefully get the right at some point tomorrow, but um. Yeah, it's a very easy Halloween costume, man. I, I don't want to get too deep into the Michigan um investigation because that's really not my thing. I'm not – I wouldn't call myself great at analyzing the details of, like, who knew what, um, how bad the thing is. But I will say the more I read about it, I, I definitely think Jim Harbaugh and that coaching staff had to know what was going on. But Connor Stallion seems like, honestly, such a psycho that they're – Were probably multiple things that were above the coaching style's head that this guy was doing because this guy seems like a nut.
1: Absolutely not. There are pictures of Stallions on the sideline against TCU in the semifinal last year. The whole printout looks like a ref, like cheat code in the rule book, and it's all the TCU offense sides. Like, there is zero chance in hell that Michigan. Did not know program wide, and that includes Jim Harwell. Well, they, they, knew,
2: they knew, I just don't know what they knew absolutely everything because this Stallions guy seems kind of crazy. So, oh, he's
0: definitely crazy, 100 crazy. Yeah. My favorite, though, is the dude that he got the former D3 coach that just noped out of the UMass game at halftime. He's like, I, I, I don't get paid enough for this.
1: <laughs> <It> was- <laughs>
0: And that dude is probably the best part of all of this because that's exactly how literally everybody in the press box felt watching that game, too. Yep. But around the Big Ten, you mentioned Maryland beat or Maryland lost to Northwestern. Northwestern takes on Iowa in the or at Wrigley Field this weekend in a game that has.
1: That has the potential to have a baseball score at the end of it.
0: Yes, oh man, the the spread is the or the this point the, over under is at twenty nine and a half. Disgusting. And it might and they might not sniff it. They might. Not. Um, and Northwest. Listen, I will give Northwestern credit. They are four and four. That's much better than I thought they would be this year. Um, but you know, you look at the rest of the Big Ten. Minnesota took down Michigan State. Uh, Nebraska took down Purdue. Then we mentioned the Ohio State score, but coming up this week, we've got some pretty solid action. Ohio State and Rutgers, Greg Schiano always gives them a tough game, or ch- at least tries to. You got Wisconsin, Indiana, Nebraska at Michigan State. That'll be a disaster. Nebraska is a quiet five and three. That's the first time they think they've been, fi- they've had five wins um, this at this point in the season since um, Bo Pellini was there. Um, Illinois is at Minnesota. Iowa at Northwestern, like I said, at Wrigley Field. And then we've got Purdue at Michigan. No word on how many scouts they will have at that game or beyond. Or how many times they've watched Purdue play this year. But, again, Penn State heads to Maryland. Joe, you will be at the game, right?
2: I will be, yeah. Myself and uh, Brandon Walker will be there along with Matt Lynch, our photographer. Uh, This is actually the first duplicate uh, press box I'll be going to. Maryland was my first overall game and first road game uh, when I started in November 2021. So it'll be interesting uh, to see uh, what it's like to kind of hit a Big Ten stadium that isn't Beaver Stadium twice and kind of Compare ah uh, my impressions uh, from the first visit to the second visit. So uh yeah, it should be fun. Um, I don't think the game will be particularly close. So we can talk more about that as the week goes on. But yeah, I'm looking forward to uh good old College Park. So,
0: if I'm not mistaken, there is Coke in the press box.
2: Yep, it's a good press box,
0: and I've been there Coke? before as well. It's an it's an interesting setup. Um, you're pretty high up in the air there, but it's uh, it's not a bad stadium at all. Um, and so it's a good, nice little place to, to watch a game. And, and we're nearing like Kevin Quigley territory going you know, with you going to Maryland.
1: Yeah, I unfortunately have a fortunately, but unfortunately, have a wedding to attend this weekend. And I was hoping to be able all
0: weddings, to, man. Come on, get out of here with those.
1: Something in getting married on Maryland weekend. Didn't you get married on Maryland, Maryland weekend last year?
0: I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. So, yes, I did. Yeah. That's uh, my first anniversary is coming up November 12th. So I will not be in attendance in at Michigan. Um, in fact, that won't be possible as we're I think we're doing something for our anniversary. But again, that's all we have for this week. We thank you as always for listening for Kevin quickly and Joe Smelter. this is Jared Prugger on the lashing out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. We'll talk to you again next week